Hi, I'm Erica Pandy, and welcome to Axios Recap, where we dig into one big story. It's Friday, December 3rd, and we're focused on the tale of two jobs reports. This morning, the Bureau of Labor Statistics put out the November jobs report, which surveys employers. That report told us 210,000 new jobs were created last month. And that was way, way below economists' expectations of 550,000 new jobs. But at the same time, the Bureau released its survey of households. And that told us that the unemployment rate has plunged to 4.2%, well below expectations of 4.5%. So on the one hand, the labor market is anemic. And on the other, America's job market is hot. These conflicting snapshots of the economy come as the Federal Reserve continues to grapple with inflation and whether it should raise interest rates to deal with rising prices. So how can these two reports exist at once? And which one tells the more accurate story of our economy? And how should the Fed, which relies on this economic data to make decisions, look at today's numbers? In a moment, I'll be joined by Catherine Rempel, an economic columnist for The Washington Post, to answer those questions and to dive into how the Fed might respond. We're joined now by Catherine Rempel, economic columnist for The Washington Post. Hey, Catherine. Hey, good to be here. So let's dive right in. What did this morning's jobs numbers tell us, and how are people reacting? It was kind of a mixed report. On the one hand, the hiring numbers were much lower than had been forecast. They had been expected to come in around 550,000 or so new jobs added on net across the economy. Instead, we got 210,000. That comes from one survey of employers. The other survey, which is done of households, was considerably rosier. It showed that the unemployment rate uh, fell kind of precipitously down to 4.2% that the labor force participation rate went up, lots of other good news. And it's unusual for the two surveys that are used to produce this report to be so at odds. So I think you're seeing people kind of trying to figure out how to make heads or tails of these numbers and and which numbers to trust more. So let's start with first the disappointing hiring numbers. Why were economists so far off there? Do we know anything about that? We don't know yet. And to be fair, there have been a lot of upward revisions to previous months in the last uh, year, let's say. Basically, what happens is the Bureau of Labor Statistics puts out this preliminary number. That's what gets all of the headlines. And then as more survey results trickle in over the coming weeks and months, then they revise them. And there, there are always revisions. There's nothing terribly new there. But this time around, because of the pandemic, I think they've had more difficulty getting people to answer surveys in a timely fashion. There's a lot more uncertainty because businesses have closed or opened or whatever. So it's just harder to track the numbers in a comparable way that they did in previous years. But we we don't really know at this point. I mean, if you look at the underlying data within this report, like if you take it at face value, it does look like the big problem areas were in leisure and hospitality, for example, which had been showing really strong hiring growth earlier this year and has now slowed. But again, I don't know that we should take those numbers exactly at face value because they may change. Let's turn to the the rosier report. It says unemployment is at 4.2 percent, which is below what economists thought it would be. Do we know why these two reports might be so disconnected? 
Well, some of it might just be noise. As I said, these are based on surveys, and the survey response rates have been not as good recently as they were before the pandemic, for reasons you can probably imagine. Some of it has to do with the different ways that they measure the job market. So the employer survey literally asks companies how many people are on your payroll. And that is supposed to not include, for example, contractors who are supposed to be labeled as self-employed. Whereas in the household survey, that just asks people, are you working? Not necessarily, are you working as a payroll employee for another firm, but are you working, period? And so it could be the case, for example, we've seen a lot of entrepreneurship in this recovery. That's one of the silver linings, I would say. So it could be people are working, but they're working for themselves. They're they're working as Uber drivers or, um, you know, they're working as an Instacart delivery person or, or whatever. And those people would not, they're not supposed to be counted as being on a payroll. So there are all sorts of reasons why that may not fully explain the numbers. Economists do put more trust into that or put more emphasis, I should say, on that um, employer survey rather than the household one, which was better. I would love for you to help me put this in the context of the other big economic trends we're seeing. For example, the Fed, what is the relationship between the decisions the Fed makes and is making and what's happening in the labor market? Well, the Fed has a dual mandate set by Congress. They have to have maximum employment and stable prices. And that's a tricky set of priorities right now because prices have obviously been rising quite a bit. Inflation has been way above trend for for months and months now. People thought that the initial reopening pains associated with the recovery during the pandemic, that that those might cause some initial inflation, but that would fade. That hasn't happened. So the Fed has to worry about that. What's causing it? Is the economy overheating? Do they need to uh, withdraw some of their stimulus? On the other hand, they want to make sure that the job market is back to where it was or is as strong as it could be at the very least. And now the real question is, Will today's numbers throw them off course? Will they start to worry a little bit more about the job market? I don't know that this is going to necessarily throw them off course. Like I said, they have a a tricky set of priorities to balance here. They want hiring to pick up and, and for us to get back to the level of employment that we had before the pandemic, but they also don't want to risk the economy overheating and, and having inflation spiral out of control. One thing we do know is that these numbers do not reflect uh, any kind of you know, uncertainty or or fear around Omicron. How do we expect that to affect next month's jobs numbers? You know, it really depends on how bad uh, Omicron, how bad that looks as a public health threat. Is it more transmissible than previous variants of the virus? Is it more severe in terms of its health consequences if you contract it than previous variants of the virus? There are a few different mechanisms by which the, that variant, if it is bad, and we don't really know for sure yet, that that could weigh on job growth. For example, if you have consumers saying, you know what, I was thinking about 
resuming my pre-pandemic lifestyle of travel and dining out, and now I'm not going to because I'm worried about getting sick, um, that could weigh on consumer spending and therefore uh, depress hiring down the road. You could also imagine that workers are nervous about returning to jobs. We, we still see in the survey data that a lot of workers have been reluctant to return to their previous jobs because of the risks associated with them. And then beyond all of that, there aren't, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of appetite within the United States for government enforced industry closures or regional lockdowns or whatever anymore, but other countries are implementing them. China, for example, has taken a much um, stricter approach even today to trying to control the pandemic. That could cause more supply chain issues in China, which again could have downstream effects on the U.S. job market because there are a lot of U.S. jobs that depend on those global supply chains. While I have you just jumping back, one more question on the Fed. Fed Chair Jerome Powell acknowledged that the challenges with the labor market, the labor shortages are, you know, causing supply chain issues and then driving up prices, adding to inflation. Did he signal this week that it might be time to increase interest rates to deal with inflation? He has signaled recently that he's a little bit more hawkish than had previously been the case. So when he testified I guess it was a couple of days ago, he basically said we should retire the term transitory, which is what they had been using to describe the threat of inflation and how quickly it would fade. And it might be appropriate to consider other kinds of measures that that would mean tightening monetary policy more quickly than they had previously anticipated. And I think he specifically talked about the tapering, so that's the the buying of additional asset purchases for the Fed's balance sheet. But you could imagine that that there would be other measures taken as well, like they might um, accelerate the pace of interest rate hikes. I, I I don't know exactly you know what that's going to look like, and I think there's probably a fair amount of debate within the Fed about the pace of interest rate hikes. But markets seem to have anticipated, based on those comments earlier this week and other comments that Fed officials have made in in the past several weeks, that the pace of rate hikes may be a little bit faster than previously anticipated. Catherine Rempel is an economic columnist for The Washington Post. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you. Welcome back. Today, I'm thinking about buying an RV. Not for me. I'm just thinking about the idea of it. The pandemic gave Americans a new appreciation for the great outdoors, and that's spilling over into the RV industry. There are a few numbers that really start to tell the story. In October, manufacturers in North America built 58,000 RVs. That's the highest number built in one month ever. And it's part of a trend. The number of RVs manufactured has hit a new monthly high every month for the last 12 months. It goes without saying, They're making so many of them because people are buying so many of them, even with a price tag that runs anywhere from $35,000 to $300,000. So I dug into the RV Industry Association's numbers even more, and I found that as of March 2021, 11.2 million U.S. households owned RVs. But what's really striking is that an additional 9.6 million families say they're considering getting an RV in the next five years. That would nearly double RV ownership in the U.S. Now, of course, not all of those people are actually going to buy RVs, but it says a lot about the times we live in that so many of them are even thinking about taking the plunge. That's all for today. I'm Erica Pandy. Thanks for listening. And we're back Monday with another Axios Recap.